Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at, well, every single prime minister, every opposition leader, but right now we're looking at every election in Canadian history every single day for 36 days to coincide with the 2021 federal election. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. I have Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And I have Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these podcasts full-time. The writing, the research, everything. So, if you can give some money, it goes straight to me, and it helps keep it all going. I'll also thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can also email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. And if it sounds different, that's because I'm currently on the road visiting historical sites in Alberta, and I'm recording this in my hotel room. From 1867 to 1896, the Conservatives led Canada, with the exception of five years from 1873 to 1878. During almost that entire time, it was Sir Johnny Macdonald at the helm of the party. And when he died in 1891, the party went through a succession of four leaders, who all served as Prime Minister over the course of five years. During that time, the new leader of the Liberal Party, Wilfrid Laurier, began to build the party up and he would take it to the 1896 election. This election would be the beginning of the Liberal Party dominance of 20th century Canadian politics. Needless to say, the 1896 election was one of the most important in Canadian history and the first to truly divide Canada along the lines of language. Leading the Conservatives at this point was Sir Charles Tupper, the man who helped bring Nova Scotia into Confederation, served as his Premier, and was one of the most important ministers in the government of Macdonald. Unfortunately, an issue that started as a small issue in Manitoba grew over the 1890s to become the central focus of the 1896 election. Tupper came to power after Sir Mackenzie Bowell was ousted as leader thanks to a revolt within his cabinet. Tupper was a skilled and able politician, but after Canada had been led by the Conservatives for so long, Tupper was in a losing battle to win the election. Even Tupper was reluctant to take on the leadership, stating, quote, When a majority of the members of the Bowell cabinet had resigned and the party had been broken into pieces, I was reluctantly induced to come to the rescue. End quote. At the time, he was 75, and he'd been more or less out of politics for several years at the time, and was often out of the country. Going back to the issue that grew out of Manitoba, that was the Manitoba schools question. When Manitoba became a province, the Manitoba Act of 1870 made both French and English co-languages in the province. In 1890, the Official Languages Act was passed which would make English the official language of the province. Also at the time, Manitoba had a system of denominational schools that were funded by taxes, but the same month the new Official Languages Act went into place, another act turned the separate sections of the Board of Education into one, creating a system of non-secular schools, thereby removing the denominational school districts. If Catholics, who were mostly Francophone in the province, wanted their own schools, they now had to fund the schools themselves, while also paying taxes for the non-denominational schools. The issue slowly grew in 1890, eventually reaching Parliament, and it would be a major issue for the Prime Ministership of Sir Mackenzie Bull and Sir Charles Tupper. 
Parliament was dissolved on April 24, 1896, and Tupper became Prime Minister officially one week later. While the Manitoba schools question was the major issue, Tupper attempted to make the future of Canadian industry the issue, telling supporters that the Conservatives would protect Canadian industries from the Americans. Despite this effort on the part of Tupper, his party was heavily divided. The Anglophone members and the Francophone members both had differing views regarding the Manitoba schools question, and when Tupper would speak, he was met with a barrage of criticism from both sides due to his decision not to resolve the issue or really speak much on it. In one case, during a two-hour speech at Massey Hall in Toronto, he was interrupted constantly. One newspaper would write, quote, He conjured up in the minds of distraught conservatives happier with a happier past, which they hoped would come to life again. End quote. One account of his attempt to speak comes from June 20th, 1896, only four days before the election. When Tupper rose to speak, the crowd, filled with liberal supporters, yelled for him to sit down. Whenever he referred to himself in the speech, the crowd chanted, I, 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 and when he mentioned Wilfrid Laurier, the crowd cheered. One journalist would write, quote, It was impossible to hear him, even at the distance of ten feet. End quote. Of course, Tupper was known for his quick tongue, and he would yell to the crowd, quote, You men who are making these interruptions are the most blockheaded set of cowards that I have ever looked upon. End quote. Tupper would maintain his line of protecting Canadian industry by stating the real issue of the election was, quote, our great fight to protect the industries of Canada, end quote. The Liberals had spent the previous five years working on their message. After the Conservatives, specifically Sir John and Macdonald, took the Liberal decision to support free trade and turned it into an issue of patriotism, the new Liberal Party instead embraced more of a Conservative platform and less in the way of radical change that may frighten some voters. This was an excellent move as it meant many of the supporters of the Conservative Party, who were angry about the Manitoba schools question, would turn to the Liberals in the election. Laurier even supported the national policy, something the party had not done since it was first introduced in 1878, which helped Laurier gain support from the business interests of Montreal and Toronto. The Liberal campaign was even led by Joseph Tart, a former Conservative. Thanks to this new message and platform, Laurier was able to get support from several powerful provincial leaders, including Oliver Mowat of Ontario. The Conservative camp was of course angry about this change, with one Conservative pamphlet calling Laurier a gyrating tariff weather cock. It would continue, quote, As a political economist and statesman in a business country, Laurier is absurd. End quote. The federal remedial bill put forward before the election would bring in a separate school system to Manitoba, but it was flawed. It lacked a directive to Manitoba to provide a grant to schools, and this allowed the Liberals to argue that the bill did not establish a minority system and was a fraud of a bill. The Conservatives, in contrast, believed that the bill would gain them support in Quebec. The Liberals had actually prevented the bill from being passed by extending the debate until the election. This presented a challenge in the election itself since Laurier had opposed the bill, and he may have been seen as a traitor to French Canadians. But, since there was the omission of the directive for provincial funding of a separate school system, he was able to take on a position that his goal was establishing French rights, and he would do that by negotiation rather than opposing legislation. Outside Quebec, the Liberals then played up their opposition to the bill as respecting provincial rights. It was a perfect line to take, pleasing both sides and hurting the Conservatives, who had actually tried to pass the bill. 
The liberal message was reflected in the Catholic pamphlet handed out in Halifax by the party, which stated, quote, Good-tempered appeals to the generosity and sense of justice for Protestant fellow citizens will nearly always gain recognition for our reasonable claims and due regard for our conscientious convictions. While on the other hand, anything in the nature of aggression or coercion is almost certain to lead to resistance and failure. End quote. Laurier in his speeches referred to his method to resolve the Manitoba schools question as sunny ways, which related the fable involving the sun and the wind who compete to take off a man's coat, which the sun wins by warming the man to induce him to take the coat off. There continued to be shady dealings to influence the election as well. One Montreal manufacturing firm posted a notice on its door stating, quote, We feel it is only fair to notify employees that, in case of a change in government, we will be unable to guarantee wages you are now being paid. Neither will we be able to guarantee work of any kind to all employees employed by us at this time. End quote. The 1896 election would prove to be an overwhelming success for the Liberals. While they had a respectable 90 seats in 1891, they jumped that number up 30% and finished with 117 seats, while the Conservatives collapsed, losing 31 seats in the election. Several other parties emerged, including the Patrons of Industry, with two men elected, and the McCarthyite Party, run by Dalton McCarthy, which was an anti-Catholic and anti-French Canadian party. The party only ran 11 candidates, but its leader, McCarthy, won two seats and chose to sit in one. McCarthy had actually been part of the Conservative Party, but had left over a disagreement with Sir Johnny MacDonald, and ironically, despite his anti-French Canadian leanings, McCarthy aligned with Canada's first Francophone Prime Minister, Wilfrid Laurier, after the election. The party would dissolve later that year, and he would sit as an independent. In the election, the Conservatives, despite losing many seats, actually had a greater share of the votes, 48.2%, but it was the collapse of their support in Quebec that hurt them. They had captured half the seats in English Canada, but it was not enough. In Quebec, Tupper was seen as an imperialist, and that was a major issue, especially with him going against a Francophone leader such as Laurier. In Quebec, Laurier won 49 seats, while the Conservatives only picked up 16. Interestingly, while Laurier had won the election on June 24th, Charles Tupper refused to cede power, stating that Laurier would be unable to form a government. This claim seems odd, considering Laurier and Liberals had won a majority government with 55% of the seats in the House of Commons. Tupper then began to make appointments as Prime Minister to his cabinet, but Lord Aberdeen, the Governor-General, refused to allow this. In response, Tupper resigned, and the Governor-General invited Laurier to form a government. In all, Tupper had served as Prime Minister for 69 days, the shortest period of any Prime Minister ever. The Conservatives would remain out of power for the next 15 years until 1911, when a new Conservative leader named Robert Borden came to power to lead Canada through one of its most tumultuous eras, the era of World War I. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the election of 1896. Tomorrow, we're going to look at 1900. Information from Dynasties and Interludes, Biography, Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, and Elections Canada. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.